Hello Sound listeners, just a quick note before the podcast starts, thank you so much for tuning in, I know you haven't heard from me for a month uh, and since I got back from Turkey it has just been problematic and chaotic, uh, everything that could have gone wrong has pretty much gone wrong and uh, yeah that's why you haven't heard from me but like I promised in the last episode I promised to make this in a set schedule Uh, from January in 2019 so this will be the last podcast of this year but from January it will be on a set day at a set time every single time and you will be able to find it on your podcast uh, app and I'm so sorry I haven't spoken to you in a while happy Christmas happy new year as well and Here is a political roundup of 2018. I wanted to come back before the year was out just to say hello to you and just to say, I haven't forgotten about you. 2018 has seen a music concert. It's seen someone dancing on stage to ABBA. It's seen an erotic spresum and a baby blimp, just to name four out of many, many, many events. Welcome to the Political Roundup of 2018 with me, Hugo Sugg, and a piece of the podcast furniture, Dunk Cushionen. Hello, Duncan. Hello, Hugo. Lovely to be here. Are you enjoying your Boxing Day? I am. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to listeners as well. Merry Christmas, all. Merry Christmas. Okay, so our roundup of 2018 now i must apologize it's slightly echoey i'm recording this in a hotel room brilliant uh on boxing day so all is good all is good okay uh i mentioned it in the intro um the in july thousands upon thousands of people came to london to march against the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and his visit to the UK. And, Dunk, why was this really significant? And why was it a kind of political hit of t- 2018? Well, first and foremost, the United States of America, and therefore the President, is probably the United Kingdom's single greatest ally, uh, with whom we've had one of the longest, and we have a special relationship. So, usually, a presidential visit is something to aspire to, to praise, to reflect on about how good our relationship is. So, when you've got thousands of citizens marching on the street saying, we don't like this man, we hate you as a president, we hate you as a person, we hate your policies, please resign, causes a bit of of tension between the two countries. Especially when a giant Trump-esque baby blimp is flown above the city. <laughs> this was, of course, Sadiq Khan authorising a huge inflatable Trump balloon with tiny hands and a tiny mobile phone on Twitter uh, to fly <laughs> in Parliament Square for two hours. Um, so this was significant because... Thousands, thousands of people marched against the sitting US president. But, I mean, 
was was that right? Was it right? I went on that march. I'll freely admit I went on that march, and I'm proud to have gone on that march. Um, but was it right for <coughs> citizens to kind of march against a sitting US president when we do have this special relationship? And I don't want this podcast to be really serious, but there is serious points to the matters we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, was it right for citizens to march against a sitting US president coming to the UK? Well, I think the United States Supreme Court would be the first to say, well, yes, you might not be American citizens, but people have the right to speak freely in criticism of their government, of other governments. And, you know, the, it's, it's, I believe the First Amendment is freedom of speech. And reflecting that value should be enshrined and just how similar we are to the United States and let's say the Supreme Court would be the first to stand up and defend that action so whilst it might cause some political tension there's nothing really wrong with it I mean yes he did walk in front of the monarch which is absolutely wrong and he should have been shot for but <laughs> that's in or there <laughs> are you advocating an assassination of the sitting US president no just that he should be shot, not killed. Just shot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Queen could have actually... I mean, the irony is the Queen actually could have shot him and not been arrested. <laughs> or yes. charged. Yes. Or trialled. The effects of the Trump protest was Donald Trump came to the, came to the UK, got dropped off in London, and then went and stayed at the US... Ambassador's house. Let's not forget he was uh, he was very crit- critical of the cost and the moving of the United States Embassy in London. Well, yeah, that's why that's why I wasn't sh- that's why I didn't want to say the U.S. Embassy. He went to the U.S. Uh, ambassador, didn't he? He stayed at the U.S. Ambassador's residence for first night, and then went out of London. Because, yep. because of the protests, he was forced out of London. He didn't want, he didn't want to be protested against, and he didn't want to, um, he didn't want to see them. And I think that just shows you how narrow-minded Donald Trump is, and how egotistical and self-loving he is. Mm. And then there was everything he said about Brexit. Well, yeah, let's not even get into that this is not a podcast about brexit <laughs> oh it could so easily become that although yeah inevitably a lot of the discussion we'll talk about is to do with it but if i represent a majority of people in this country for anything it's i think we're fed up of talking about leaving the eu would you agree uh no really even, even uh, politicians are fed up of it. Talking about the EU, uh, we just simply want the talks to move on because I think everybody in the country wants a healthy democracy in which we do talk about it. Okay, well, that is a nice segue into our next topic, which wasn't going to be next, but let's roll with it. Same month, a few days after, um, 
to do with Brexit. Uh, Boris Johnson resigns as Foreign Secretary, along with David Davis as Brexit Secretary. Duncan, give us a background to this. Well, obviously, for the duration of the Brexit negotiations, uh, Boris and Davis had been very critical of May and the deal that she was uh, she was trying to formulate with the EU. Plans stick in the throat, and. Calling what we were going to get a status of a colony if her soft Brexit plans were adopted, extremely critical. And obviously for senior cabinet members, resigning is always their card on how to stick something to the Prime Minister. We will resign because we can't carry on in good conscience. I don't want to represent these proposals, so they conclude they have to go. And that that's that's what they do. You know, rather than sticking in the job as foreign secretary and using all the power influence of that office to help shape a better deal for the country that he'd like to see, no, he would rather go to the back benches and step down completely from any position of power to help shape the deal to what he wanted. Yeah. I mean Boris Johnson you can kind of you can kind of see uh he's not directly in charge. Uh, of the negotiations or has much of a say in them although as foreign secretary you do have a lot to say about kind of the international implications of it but David Davis the actual Brexit secretary and you could argue does a Brexit secretary actually have any power Uh, probably not as much as it sounds like Um, especially especially now as the PM as soon as Davis Davis wins, the PM just took personal control of it all. Well, no, the PMs always have personal control of it. From from the moment she triggered Article, that's why that's why Theresa May had to trigger Art, Article Fifty and not David Davis. Well, no, no, no. What what I mean is when Davis Davis was doing, he was the one clearly leading the negotiations. He was clearly the one at the table. As soon as he went, she became that person. Wasn't it always Ollie Robbins, the civil servant, the civil servant? Yes, yes, yes. But I'm talking more the political in the media sense, in what we see as a society. Okay, yeah. Because the average person on the street has no idea who the permanent secretaries are and what the civil services they see, whichever cabinet member is doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the huge irony of uh, David Davis resigning, and also. Um, Later on in the year, not that long ago, uh, go uh, his replacement Dominic Raab resigning. Um, is that he David Davis negotiated or part negotiated the very deal he said he didn't support? I mean, what is up with that? I mean, Boris Johnson resigning. Uh, you can and Esther McVeigh and stuff. You can kind of go, yeah, okay. You know, they don't they don't like it. Um, is it right for them to resign is a different matter but we don't like it so they will resign and protest but David Davis and Dominic Raab are very people who were in the kind of passenger seat of the negotiation car have resigned saying he didn't support the plan agreed although he bloody made the plan (laughs) Uh, can you can you give me any more uh, kind of irony on that situation? I, I I don't know if there is, but at the same time, he's negotiating as best as he can. 
because he, he he's having to represent as much what the prime minister and the government and the cabinet want. Uh, so he's only got so much leeway of his own to, to try and negotiate his own treaty. Like before that, you know, the, the foreign secretary, if they are negotiating, they're doing uh, trade talks in the United States, for example. As much as they might want something, they've still got to represent the government's view as a whole. And it probably just got to a head that he saw it very much. It, 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 it probably would have come down to almost one or two policies. Yeah. It made him uh, want to... Well, yeah, but why did he resign after... Why did David Davis resign after it was agreed by ministers and not before? Because obviously he knew what was going to be put in front of him because he was the one who flipping drew it up. So why did he resign because, afterwards? Because, because at that realisation, you're not going to be able to change it. Well, no, but... But why would you put... But why would you put something in front of ministers that you're blatantly unhappy with and you know it should be changed, but you still you still allow it to go in front of ministers and then you resign after ministers go, yeah, this is a good idea. First draft and he was hoping it'd be wrong and he could seize power. Ah, so you think Dom- Dominic Raab was after the leadership? Well, I think they're all after the leadership, but none of them now want it till post Brexit. Well, we'll come on to we'll come on to the confidence vote and all of that later on. Um, okay, uh, let's carry on. Let's go on a different topic for a minute, and let's leave Brexit for a minute and give give us all a little of a break. Uh, June, throwing back to June. We had what was dubbed as Jazz Fest. Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party decided to get into the centre of London uh, in White Hart Lane, Tottenham, and do a music festival. Brilliant. Uh, for the few, not the many. Brilliant. Well, yeah, it was for the few because uh, people. <laughs> Just didn't turn up. People didn't turn up, did they? <laughs> they I had mean, a... even at the height of your Labour supporting, would you have paid thirty-five quid to go? Well, I might, I might have if I was in, if I was a Labour supporter living in London. I wouldn't have travelled across the country for it. <laughs> if I lived outside of London, yeah, not at all. Um, so yeah, Labour Live. Would you? If you were a Labour supporter or... Well, we don't know your political allegiance. So, okay. If you were a die-hard Labour supporter on the time of Labour Live, would you have gone? No, because... Well, I haven't gone to any musical festival ever. I've only ever been to two concerts in my life, so it's probably going to be a no from me. Um, Yeah, uh, Labour Live picked up lots of criticism after uh, failing to attract tens of thousands of people uh, Jeremy Corbyn couldn't actually get um, the White Stripes who sung the Seven Nation Army at the uh, concert Uh, and of course Jeremy Corbyn's anthem among his supporters is a mock-up of the Seven Nation Army chorus so I think 
what what do you think if you had managed to get seven nation army there would he have got a bigger turnout and would it have been more successful uh, possibly, but then that would have literally have seen it, people going for Seven Nation Army, and then once they've performed, leaving. And you would be able to tell that in an instant, because you go, ah, there's loads of people here. Ah, they've finished. Uh, bye. Well, yeah, I know, but at least you wouldn't have to slash the prices of tickets by 70%, which is what they had to do after announcing Clean Bandit mm. were playing. That's the risk you run with doing music festivals. Uh, okay, next topic... <laughs> Uh, let's go on to let's go on to a, a, a fairly serious topic. So, fourth uh, uh, of March in Salisbury in uh, England, a former Russia spy and his daughter Julia Skripal and uh, Sergei, his her father, uh, were poisoned and uh, hospitalised for weeks. Uh, this was due to well, we believe Russia um, in a chemical nerve agent attack with a chemical agent called Novichok. Uh, this, this also, so it happened in Azizis, but there were multiple locations where kind of this Novichok was found. They were found slumped on a park bench, I believe, and... Uh, then got taken to hospital and were kept in hospital for weeks. Uh, it seemed it seems a long time. Um, unfortunately, a couple of uh, or, or police officers who were the first responders also then got infected. Well, infected. You know what I mean by infected. Uh, ex- exposed to the nerve agent and then they soon became ill. Uh, with some of the police officers' entire houses being gutted and stripped it, like things being thrown on the furnace to get rid of any traces of it. There was a restaurant that was closed down, uh, hit several families very, very tragically. Yeah. And has been a, 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 a colossal cock-up. And unfortunately, in June, um, they picked up a, uh, a couple called uh, Dawn Sturgis and Charlie Rowley picked up a contaminated perfume dispenser from a floor in Salisbury and unfortunately this had the Novichok nerve agent in. Uh, Charlie Rowley survived but unfortunately Miss Sturgis died in hospital in July. She was the only fatality of this horrendous horrific poisoning. Um, Since then we have had accusations it was Russia and Russia have come back and said it's not them uh, it's not the, suspe- uh, the suspects who were Alexandra Petrov and Ruslan Bozhirov um, they said they were only visiting for the cathedral, for the cathedral. Um, and that has been disputed and challenged as there is CCT evidence uh, of them driving down some very odd roads to the house of Sergei and Yulia Skripal. So that was a domestic, um, well, chemical terror attack. In in all essence, um, well, I I think to call it a terror attack is to underestimate it. What would you call it? 
state on state attack okay. just shy of a declaration of war. If that had been a small thermonuclear device, the fallout, pardon the pun, would have been extremely different. Yeah. Yet it's the same category of weapon. True. Indeed. Um the the aftermath of this was um the UK Theresa May directed 23 Russian diplomats and their families to be expelled from the UK. Uh, ministers and royal family wouldn't attend the FIFA World Cup in Russia uh, this year. Um, and let, let's not forget, even with everything going on in Brexit, the UK led a European and NATO response to this by getting many, many, many more countries to expel many, many more diplomats, many of whom would have been suspected spies, spies, crippling Russia's intelligence network and showing Russia that Europe stands in solidarity against a state who does not play by the international wrong structure, they flaunt international law and are acting as a international bully for all intents and purposes, especially to smaller Eastern European states. And we, we cried out in one solid voice saying, no, we will not stand for this and you will be punished. Yeah, because there is a international treaty uh, against the use of chemical weapons, isn't there? Yes, and uh, there's agents, many, etc. Um, Twenty-nine countries, including the US, Canada, Germany, and France, expelled a total of 145 Russian officials. Uh, Russia retaliated by um, expelling 23 British diplomats, 60 US ones, and um, sorry. 50 um, UK diplomat, uh, diplomats. Um, so Russia re- retaliated. But I, th- I think it's fair to say that Russia, although um, although they kind of have tried to get away with it and have kind of got away with it, I mean, nothing major has happened. Um, I think it's fair to say that the... Like you just mentioned, the, the expelling of uh, spies in um, in the countries like the US, Canada, and the UK uh, will have damaged Russia's intelligence network. Um, this, of course, is not the first time we've had a poisoning uh, of a Russian spy or a Russian dissident in the UK. Ah, uh, the good old umbrella case. Yep, 2006, the poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko, which actually was successful, and unfortunately he died after drinking uh, tea laced with a radioactive substance. Um, this, I mean, if if it is proven that the Skripal poisoning uh, was ordered by Putin, the Russian president, it will be the second... Um, It'll be the second death of a Russian spy on UK soil, ordered, probably ordered by Vladimir Putin, which tells you about what character Putin is, really. This concludes part one of the Sug Sound podcast of the 2019 review. Please stay tuned for part two, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye.
Hello and welcome back to this for political highlights of 2018 with me, Hugo Sugg and Duncan Cushman. Our reaction to a chemical attack not on our soil was very stark as part of an international coalition and yet was, I'd say, widely condemned, these being the uh, strikes in Syria on the evening of Friday the 13th of April. What, of this year? Yes. Yeah. And actually, that's a really... That wasn't on the list to talk about, but that was a really interesting political event. That was a nice uh, tangent there. Uh, that was a really important political event, event that happened because there was some parliamentary tension in the UK about that, where Theresa May ordered airstrikes. Parliament were in recess uh, for Easter, I believe, and uh, she ordered them and then came to Parliament and made a kind of after-the-event statement saying why she... justifying, trying to justify why she didn't recall Parliament and launch the strikes on Syria. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn uh, said that it was kind of... it was against convention after the, the whole Iraq war debacle in 2001. Uh, if you are going to launch chemical... sorry, if you are going to launch airstrikes, you should come to Parliament and seek permission. And Theresa May didn't do that. Uh, Dunk, I want to call you Dominic tonight. I don't know why. Um, Dunk, uh, who was right in that? Was Theresa May right to have not recalled Parliament? Or is Jeremy Corbyn right to say... As the, as, as she the Prime Minister, she's interested to leave, leave the government and make difficult decisions. And in this case... <laughs> One would say, ah, yes, military action, action <coughs> she, she should consult government. But let, let's... So, uh, last year, Operation Rumon, did, did the... Would you say the Prime Minister needed to consult government to send the flagship of the Royal Navy on uh, an, aid, an aid? No, we wouldn't, because it's to help human life. We, we wouldn't... It's only in this time we are attacking she should consult Parliament. But it was part of a, a one-off operation... It was deemed legal by the Attorney General. And at times, the, the need for speed trumps the, the need to consult Parliament because, once again, these were one-off strikes in response to a chemical attack the nation had already condemned alongside our American and French allies in, in a limited role against pinpoint targets. We were not sending in the entirety of the British Army or the Royal Air Force. We sent in some tornadoes and some typhoons. And supposedly an astute class submarine was in the area, though that will never be confirmed as long as the submarine service exists. And I believe that she was right to do it because as a nation, we should stand firm against chemical attacks, against chemical, biological, or, God forbid, nuclear attacks. And quick airstrikes are one of the, the steps we should take, and the promises should be free to launch them if it is deemed necessary. But if we were talking full-on invasion, then yes, of course, she needs to be in front of the Commons asking for permission. Now, it is important to note the chemical attack we're talking about for the Syria strike is not the chemical attack in the UK, this was yes, a chemical yes, yes. attack that 
the president of Syria, Assad, allegedly did on his own people. And we joined forces with, I believe, France, F France, France and the US, who all together, we did a simultaneous uh, airstrike, didn't we? Yes. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, Germany might have been in that too. Uh, so yeah, sorry, just to point that out. Um, yeah, I agree. I I think I think she was right to have done what she did, given the circumstances. Again, I I, I can see Corbyn's point, uh, given the Iraq War uh, and going into conflict, but this wasn't to the same scale as the Iraq War, and as you say. Um, it it was only a couple of airstrikes. Not that I agree with airstrikes, I don't, but I agree with condemnation of uh, weapons attacks. Um, I, yeah, I I think it was. I it's think probably it was also justified. to remember, like in times of this, we're working with allies who will have different timetables, and we can't always say to them, "Can you can you can you hold off for a few days, while whilst we pass it through Parliament." No, and I, I think, given the circumstances, it would have been unreasonable for her to call in Parliament at 2am in the morning. Because it was in the middle of the night, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So it would have been unreasonable, like you say, to have gone to the nations, oh, can you just wait until, like, 8 o'clock in the morning where I can recall Parliament? Um, and, it, and even then, it'd probably be a day of debates. Yeah, Exactly. So yeah, time is of the essence in that case, and I think you and I both agree it was right for Theresa May to do it. God, that's unusual that we're agreeing about something Theresa May did. I think it's un it's even more unusual that we're agreeing about some sort of military action Theresa May did. Yes, you usually take the incorrect view. <laughs> and let's jump straight back in to... Ah, the Guardian uncovered a huge, huge political scandal this year and the scandal of Cambridge Analytica and how it harks back to the EU referendum and also Facebook. Duncan, I know you're not an expert in this, but tell us what you know about the Cambridge Analytica Facebook scandal. Well, I see it also like ties back to US elections as well in that Facebook was gathering all of this information through surveys, through these little tests, you know, we, we, we'll guess how old you are by what McDonald's food you eat, tests like that. And every time you had to log into Facebook, you gave it permission to access your bio, um, political campaigns using Cambridge Analytica, creating these to get loads of statistics and data and harvesting it from millions upon millions upon millions of people that they can then tune into information about demographics, into voting patterns, into how best to influence people, how to best get propaganda out there. And it just turned into this huge scandal that so many millions of people's data was being abused without even knowing about it. Yeah, it was something like... 38 million people people's data wasn't it yes. no sorry 50 million people 50 million Facebook profiles were harvested for Cambridge Analytica in what they class as a major data breach I would say it was a 
like it wasn't major it was like catastrophic data breach i think major is probably um an understatement <laughs> um but this does this does roll on to like you say the u.s elections and um also the eu referendum uh lots of people have used this uh, as a way of asking were the u.s presidential elections in 2016 obviously the trump versus clinton uh, election and also the eu referendum in 2016 uh are they legitimate if if so many people were um influenced via facebook now obviously we have the Mueller investigation in the u.s investigating possible collusion uh in the u.s elections by russia which we talked about earlier um do, uh, Duncan, if it's proven that the uh, 50 million Facebook profiles could have been swayed by information and uh, campaigning, illegal campaigning, uh, via Facebook and social media, does that render the election of Donald Trump and also the leave result of the EU referendum um, invalid? Well, it, it's it's an interesting question, because <coughs> let's say if this was uh, uh, the Tour de France, <coughs> when we found out Lance Armstrong had cheated, he'd done drugs, he'd doped, blah, 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 we stripped him of his medals, we stripped him of his winnings, and the person who came second in those races, we told them, you are now the winner. So, if you were to use that analogy, you'd say, obviously, if we find this result null and void, whatever came second, therefore, is now the winner. But he doped to get an advantage in a race, and that allowed him to win. Now, you could say, using all of this data and sending out disinformation, using it gives you an advantage. Yes, it does. But did you outright, especially in America, hack the voting terminals, the, the computer voting machines? Did you physically change the vote or did you just change people's mind, albeit with disinformation? But did you simply change people's minds? Because to say that if you were given disinformation, that should make it null and void would be to say, well, they didn't hold clear to this manifesto pledge they made in a particle political broadcast, therefore we can make it null and void. And it's a very careful line you have to tread. That can, can you do that now with the Mueller investigation? If they do find Russian interference, well, hang on, you've got a different kettle of fish there because that could be seen as potentially an act of war because you are willingly influencing the outcome of a country's future as a, a, as a separate state. And if a person was found to be doing that on behalf of Russia, that is grounds for treason. But I think we just got to wait for these investigations to wrap up and committee hearings and parliamentary hearings. But are they going to be made null and void? No. I mean, the but interesting... What it, what it means is going forward, there is going to be probably more legislation about how social media can be used, probably your budgeting on it, what kind of information you're allowed to put out, and more regulation for the Electoral Commission to hold people to with what can and can't be said. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting what you said about the winner of the Tour de France uh, being found guilty of um, doping 
and it then going obviously to the second. The the difference the difference with that is, um, and I think it I, I think it is an important point. The difference with that is it was an event where people took part uh, in a sporting event, so it was really easy to because it was only the people involved in the sporting event who took part in the sporting event. So it's really easy to go right. Okay, number one, uh, illegally one. Uh, down to number two. The difference, uh, and I guess this is why it makes it even harder to say if it's not and void, the difference between a sporting race and an election or a referendum is it's not, it, it's not, it's not as linear as two cyclists or 50 cyclists cycling in a race. It, it, we're talking millions upon millions of people making a decision um, at the ballot box based on information they get prior to the campaign, uh, sorry, prior to polling day, whatever side of the coin it is, whether it's winner or loser side. Um, so I think, would you agree that would make it harder to um, declare it null and void because actually like you you raised a really good point which i hadn't thought of um disinformation to people isn't the same as rigging political system sorry electoral systems like rigging um electronic voting and um marking ballot boxes uh, sorry ballot papers with a different result than or a different vote than was originally cast would you ag- would you agree that they are different oh definitely definitely and that's why um, it's and that's why it's harder to null and void a, a democratic result rather than a sporting result and then also uh well it's also now makes sense to ta- touch on uh, aaron banks and his leave campaign spending uh, that was found has been referred to the national crime agency indeed indeed and there's still debates over where did he get the money and there was something about oh what is the latest story about Aaron Banks it's really uh, Carol Cadwallader um, who is a journalist from the Guardian um, who broke this Uh, Alan Aaron Banks this billionaire is or millionaire sorry is now facing questions from anti-corruption campaigners about a valuable uncut diamond from South Africa. Like, it's going down, like, a really odd, weird road. I mean, it's great, but... Yeah. What do, what do you think to that? <laughs> this came out well, three days ago. Almost to make another analogy, if my best mate went and stole the, uh, a bar of gold from the Treasury, and then after the heat had died down, he gets away, gives it to me i melt it down and i spend that money if i'm then found out to have used that gold and spend money uh, as proceeds of crime whatever i spent it on would be given back would be undone taken back you know they'd seize the money the funds and then arrest me as an after the fact accessory and benefiting from the crime would it would that follow because the leave campaign Potentially, are going to have benefited from a crime. Yeah. Now, does that warrant a, a result null and void? Well, not necessarily. Um, 
necessarily because it depends how much a how much of those proceeds were put into it how how they were used well let's say if that made up two percent of the total let's say television airtime for the leave campaign ju just for a single example you'd have to look what effect did that two percent of airtime give did that give an unfair advantage no not really it's two percent but if it turns out that was 50 percent of all the funding that leave campaign used then then you have a problem because at that point you are saying well that 50 percent over half that campaign benefited from illegal funding that that say so that is when you have a problem you actually have to make a decision do we let that stand knowing that came from criminal you know criminal actions yeah I guess it I guess it all depends on what kind of the outcome of the investigation is like you said earlier as to kind of what the what the next steps could or should be and that concludes part two of Sug Sound Part 3 will be out shortly. Until then, see you soon. Hello and welcome back to this, the political highlights of 2018, with me, Hugo Sug, and Duncan Cushman. Now, it, uh, really, uh, just to kind of roll into uh, another story on the list to talk about, um, the rise of a second referendum um, in relation to the EU, or us leaving the EU. Yes, uh, yes. And um, we obviously, have, we, we did a podcast earlier in the year on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, you took part in one. I, I also did a, another one with um, someone else about... Um, someone else I can't remember right now I think it was Johnny um, about the second referendum idea uh, so we've talked a lot about it uh, on this podcast um, now listeners if you have listened to the previous podcasts uh, you will know I am so dead against this it is untrue um, Duncan uh, the rise of a second referendum do you Yes or no? Do you think a second referendum is going to happen before we leave the EU, whenever that is, which is meant to be the 29th of March uh, 2019? But that Do I think one will happen before we leave? Uh, probably not. Okay. Now, now, when I say before we leave, that does include an extension of Article 50, possibly to make it happen. Do you think we're going to have a, a second referendum before we leave the EU, whenever that is, regardless of any extension? Uh, potentially, but I think it comes down to politicians and how they go about it, because you've got Amber Rudd saying, one, it, she won't say it will necessarily happen, she said it is plausible, because if Parliament does get to a deadlock, something needs to ha happen to break that deadlock. And no, as we're seeing now, May's at the limits of what she can get back from the EU. The limits are there from the EU side. So we're not really going to get a better deal from the EU to break that deadlock. We, we're we not really going to change our negotiating stance because that's already kind of at the limits in this deal it is. And 
there isn't really the appetite in Parliament for a no deal. And if they're not going to vote for Theresa May's deal, you, you do have a deadlock. And how else are you going to break that other than asking the people what they want? Because then you have a wholehearted verdict saying, yeah, we can follow that. We can, <coughs> we can follow ah, that. Ah, but you can ask the people in the general election. Yes, yes, you could. You could do a, a, a snap general election. But that once that doesn't really give you the clarity because let's say hypothetically Labour or the Liberal Democrats or the SNP won that and became the government the, the entire likelihood is that they would throw Theresa May's deal out of the window and start afresh and now in the, nas- the, the national interest that's not necessarily the best course of action you want, you want a decision on what the country wants do we want this deal, do we want no deal you, you want a very clear yes, no We've set out options, not an entire manifesto about the entire... Because let's not forget, a general election would not just be about Brexit, it would be about NHS funding. So you can have a general election, you can say they voted for this, but you can't guarantee that every, let's say, 12 million people vote Conservative, you can't guarantee every one of them has voted Conservative because of that view on Brexit. And as we can see... In the last general election, people voted for May in her Brexit, and yet she's trying to deliver that, and the Commons is still trying to refuse it. So True. the people's vote is more definitive than a general election in that frame of context. But it, it would be interesting if we had a general election. With the news coming out in the last week uh, before Christmas saying that apparently polls and headlines have been disputed, but apparently polls are saying that uh, if Jeremy Corbyn... Uh, well, Jeremy Corbyn has pledged if there is a general election um, before we leave the EU, he his party would campaign for leaving the EU, uh, similar to 2017. Now, there have been headlines all kind of this week around uh, Labour members would overwhelmingly desert Labour uh, because of a stance. A lot of Labour members... Uh, and this is what the headlines say it's not necessarily true and you can believe what you want on Twitter um, a lot of Labour members would uh, want Labour to suddenly back a second referendum and also to back Remain being on the ballot paper so it would be very interesting to have a general election based on the fact that you've got obviously Theresa May's deal which is very very unpopular with parliament or we are led to believe it's unpopular with parliament but you also on the contrary i mean let's not talk about the lib dems and smp for a minute on the contrary you have a labor party in a direct head-to-head uh lock with their members a majority of their members saying we will desert you and not support you at a general election for as long as you support leaving the eu which is a turn for books, considering a year and a half ago, um, Labour nearly came into power on on the same manifesto pledge as what they're saying in the next manif- um, manifesto would be. So, I think it would be a really interesting general election. I, I want one to happen. I love general elections. I'm not one of these people who gets bored of general elections. I know lots of people in this podcast will probably switch off right now. Please don't switch off. Please wait until the end. Um... But, <coughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a supporter of general elections. Uh, but, yeah, I think it would be great. I don't, I, I don't think we're going to have a general election this... Uh, sorry, a referendum before we leave the EU. 
I think we'll I have say it what, uh, after. A referendum is more likely than a general election, is what I'd say. I yeah, I would agree with that. I I I would prefer a general election over a referendum, but I but I agree the chances of a referendum coming are more than. Because also, let's say if May went, right, I need to break this deadlock. If I get a referendum and people vote for my deal, ha, my deal's going through. Parliament isn't going to stop it. But if she does a general election, she's going to end up worse than the last one. But what if the public voted for Theresa May's deal? And if they're going to... So, um, the constitutional unit of the... City of London University, I think. Yeah, UCL. Um, have said it will take a minimum of kind of 22 weeks to... From start to finish for a referendum to kind of be legislated and happen. Um, if we copy the kind of... The skeleton of the 2016 EU referendum withdrawal... Sorry, EU... European Union Referendum Act... Uh, 2016 if we copy that from for the majority um it would be advisory so if a country voted for Theresa May's deal actually parliament could turn around and go well it's advisory we're still going to vote it down and then we would be the, even the, then the, we the would be even more stuck is, you, a, your, your constitutional upheaval that would then happen and a They've already proven they're not willing to do that, considering how pro-Remain the Commons was, and they still voted to leave. Well, yeah, and that that brings us on to a point, and I don't want to labour on this too much because uh, we've got other things to talk about. But this brings us on to a point of another reason I'm ag- I'm against a referendum in this case is we've elected eighty percent of MPs in Parliament right now, were elected on manifestos which committed to leaving the EU. And if we take it back... And and we have a representative democracy, and we talked about this at length in in the podcast before. We live in a representative democracy where the public send MPs to make decisions on our behalf. So by MPs saying, let's take it back to the people, completely... And I, I'm for referendum. I'm not for referendum before the first deci- decision is enacted. But what I'm what I'm saying is, in this case, <clears throat> we have already sent the public has already sent MPs to the chamber on on a manifesto which said we should leave the EU. Eighty percent of them. So why isn't why aren't MPs towing the line this time? And if there is another referendum, that just defeats the object of sending MPs to Parliament to make a decision in 2017 on, on a referendum promise. Sorry, a manifesto promise. The issue, it's... Because dem- democracy, is it, it, it's an ever-growing process. People can change their mind. But if you said... Right, I've been sent here on this manifesto pledge to go and do this, and I will stand stand steadfast for that for five years. That's kind of wrong because aren't MPs meant to have a surgery in which they go and their constituents can come in, they can talk <coughs> with them, they can talk on issues? And this 
this would be no different, albeit it is on a national scale, and everybody's going to get that chance. Yeah, but but the way to lobby, the way to change your MP's mind is by going to lobby them at those very surgeries. That's my point. And how long would it take for sixteen? Uh, sorry, it's nearer thirty million people to go and do that. Well, yeah, but the, but the, the point, the point, the point is still there. We we have known about Theresa May's deal since kind of day one. We knew what was we knew what was going to come back. So why everyone is so shocked about it, I do not know. We knew what was going to come back. Theresa May pretty much outlined it in her three major policy speeches about um, Brexit over the last kind of two years. We knew what was coming back. Yes, okay, it had minor tweaks, but we knew. So why you're you're, you're in uh, you're in PC world? You've just gone up and down the aisles looking at new computers. <coughs> you've looked at you've looked at a, a nice. Ah, but but you were researching this on the internet let me, before. Let me finish, and you've gone. This is nice. Yeah, I, I kind of like the look of this. You ask the the, the PC world employees come over and help you. He, he talks about the features, what it can offer. You're like, actually, I, I prefer something that's got an uh, an i nine core rather than an i five. He goes, we don't have any i nine in stock. I seven's the best I can do. You're like, all right, then we'll compromise on an i seven. You, you get that computer and you go to the till. And you, you've had a good think about this computer. You've made your compromises. You've got the spec you want, more or less. You've lost some things. You've probably gained some others. But when you're at the till, just before you're out to pay, you got that second. You got that second in which you can go. Actually, is this really what I want? And you can have that pause to decide and go. Actually, no, I'm going to leave it. You can put it back on the shelf and walk out without that commitment. Right. Two points. One, you didn't use the informed consent doctor's analogy, which I'm so pleased because that annoys me, <laughs> drives me up the wall. Secondly, that analogy is great, but there's one fundamental flaw with it, which is. You missed up. You missed out a bit where Jolly Old Roger down the road was researching the computer on the internet before he saw the thing, or she saw the thing. So what my my point to that is, we knew from Theresa May's three Manchester uh, Mansion House, Lancaster and Florence, uh, Lancaster House and Florence speeches, we knew what was going to come back in this withdrawal. Uh, deal so that that is the research at home about looking at the computers what where your analogy comes into where your analogy picks up from is when Johnny or Roger goes into the shop and picks up a picks up a laptop now the bit of the analogy I would change is you have been researching i9s or whatever on the internet you go into the shop you pick up the i9 you were researching but there's a different battery or there's a different keyboard layout or it's not going to have bluetooth or, or something but it is still fundamentally the same as what you researched on the internet weeks before that is a difference that is a point of the eu that is the analogy of Theresa May's EU deal. We researched this months ago. It's only when it came back with a few extra tweaks, a, a keyboard change, Bluetooth not being on there, and maybe an operating system being slightly downgraded from what we expected, 
the fundamental is you are still trying to buy that laptop with the same processor it's just got tiny tweaks which don't fundamentally change a product they just change a tiny bit of a performance of it and what you can and can't do would you would you agree with that summation well if anything i think it, that, that what you just said is completely representative what what actually happened in the referendum and post because i was talking about a desktop pc and you thought i was talking about a laptop and even there you know there, there's this division of well yeah well yeah but yeah but it, 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 it doesn't matter whether it was a laptop or another issue that no two people had the same view of what we were going to get. Okay, but actually, I didn't. I didn't specifically say uh, a laptop, did I? You did. Okay, but it could have been a desktop computer. It's the same. It's the same thing. My point. My point is, whatever you researched uh, beforehand, you've gone into store and you picked up what you researched, and it's slightly different. Different keyboard layout different bluetooth it doesn't matter whether it's a desktop or um, laptop that that doesn't matter my point is (coughs) what Theresa may was outlining is what she brought back in the withdrawal treaty with a couple of tweaks that could be whatever whatever computer you want it to be but the issue is that some of these tweaks aren't so little hence a vote of no confidence in her Thank you very much for listening to part three of Sug Sound. This podcast that is reflecting on the political year of 2018. We'll see you soon in part four. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to this for political highlights of 2018 with me, Hugo Sugg and Duncan Cushman. Uh Vote of no confidence. This happened a couple of weeks ago, December. It's been bubbling for a while. Uh, the famous 48 letters which Graham, Sir Graham Brady, the backbench uh, committee of the Tory MPs, 1922 committee uh, chairman, had to receive 48 letters for a motion of no confidence to be triggered among Tory MPs. This got triggered in December and Theresa May won by uh, not a landslide, but a majority. 200 MPs supported her, 117 MPs of her own backbenches didn't support her. Um, I think it's fair to say the person who most lost out in this isn't Theresa May so much, although she suffered quite major political damage. It's Jacob Rees-Mogg. And actually, do you know what? I think that's the first time Jacob Rees-Mogg, Mogg's name has ever come up on this podcast. Boom. Um, Duncan, would you agree? Jacob Rees-Mogg lost the most out of this. Um, yes and no. Um, After months obviously, of... you know, he, he, he was seen as the face of the man pushing for this vote of no confidence and pushing against her. Um, but when when that vote was read out and you were there watching BBC News and they go to interview him, he manages to retain 
his voice, his his clarity about why he did it and why it was necessary. And he he also acknowledges that he lost, but he doesn't let it put him down. He he he's content to to carry on now to carry on Brexit, fighting for the Brexit he wants. He can't, he can't topple the leader for it, but he, he's still going to fight fight for it. And this is he wanted her to resign. He wanted her to resign within 30 minutes of the result being read out. Yes, yes. Nothing wrong with that. And then two days later said that in Parliament, the Prime Minister has my full support. Well, did you see how much he flip-flopped during the last uh, leadership <coughs> election? Well, yeah. Okay, the, the reason... Yeah, I agree. The reason As why... They say, I- a, con- a convert is always more faithful than a loyalist. A what? By the way, it's the other way around. Um, the uh, the the reason why I said uh, Jacob Rees Mogg lost out more was he tried to launch this leadership contest uh, vote of no confidence was it back in November um, when he stood in the exact spot outside this is after actually Theresa May's deal came back I believe he stood in the exact spot outside Parliament in the St Stephen's entrance the old entrance the old public entrance to Parliament, um, in the exact spot where Theresa May became Prime Minister about two years before, and said, here's my my letter of no confidence, here's Steve Baker's letter of no confidence, that will push us over the line. And then, unfortunately, for him, about three days later, he was shown to be completely... Uh, well, I, 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 I think I think the most unfortunate thing is during the uh, when they were going <coughs> to the, the committee room to, to cast their votes, they required photo ID to cast their vote, and uh, unfortunately for Jacob, <laughs> a tapestry is not valid ID. <laughs> and did you also hear the report of Ian Blackford, the SNP leader, trying to vote in the election as well? Yeah, you've, you know, you've got to give him. You've got to try. You've got to try. <laughs> I mean, why did Ian Blackford but, think that was I, a good I think, idea? I think very importantly here, obviously it shows which MPs do and don't have faith, faith in Theresa May. And she now knows her deal. There are 117 MPs. She knows aren't going to vote for it. Because if they, if they don't have confidence in you, they certainly don't have confidence in your deal. Yeah, and the, and the danger for Theresa May and the reason why she suffered quite a bit of political damage was that, from that was for the fact that um, people on the government payroll, uh, as it's coined, as in ministers, parliamentary private secretaries, secretary of states, uh, chief whips, etc., um, some of the cabinet and some of her um, paid up payroll MPs voted against her because of the numbers um some of some of them voted against her in secret it was a secret ballot but that that is quite a lot of political damage for Theresa May um do you think uh <laughs> I actually no let's wait until the end of a podcast for political predictions of 2019 we'll wait until the end for that um okay our next topic and I'm just going to play a little clip and if you have been watching 
the if you were watching the conference season you would know what this is all about and I bet there's going to be an advert <laughs> yes there is okay after this advert we will play Okay, sorry, that's skip then. Uh, and of course, Theresa May was mocked in Africa for dancing. For the release of Mo- for liking Mamma Mia too. Earlier this year, what? Uh, well, that's one of the stories. Obviously, this year's release of Mamma Mia too. Uh, and she was dancing in Africa. Yes, yes. I think that's where she got that from. Well, she's well, she's no Ed Balls. No, that's true. I don't, I don't see her being invited onto Strictly any time. I mean, she doesn't have a Theresa May Day. Ed Balls does. Ed Balls Ed has Balls a Ed Balls Day. Ed Balls Day. Yeah. And the history of that is when he tweeted from his own account, Ed Balls. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. And um, it is remembered fondly. It is. <laughs> I think even he remembers it every year. I think he probably reminds everyone else it's Ed Balls Day. I believe he retweets it every year. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. But yes, obviously, because this, this was her dancing in Africa when she was with a, a group of children. But I think anybody, you know, if I was in that position, I'd come out with some shoddy dance moves. I think nobody is a particularly great dancer, uh, especially if you've not got the, the cameras of the world media pointed at you as well. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think she, she got mocked and people laughed. And, but I think the fact she danced on stage, coming onto the stage to Dancing Queen, she, she's got a sense of humour about it. Let's laugh about it. But end of the day, you didn't vote me in because how 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 I dance. You voted me in to do a job. That doesn't include dancing. You know, and I... I um, this case, we just laughed and we it was in the that evening's newsreels. Then we got over it. But what I really, really hate is how politicians get condemned for little things like this. Like, there was the famous photo of Ed Miliband and a bacon sandwich. And the, a few years back, there was Theresa May with a bag of chips. And you think, why in this snapshot of just a, a little, as simple as eating or dancing, why, why are they judged on how good they are at their jobs based on something so simple and something so insignificant? in relation to how they do their jobs, that we, we let the world's media condemn them. Yeah, okay, let's have a laugh, but let's move on. Let's not let it interfere in the news cycle. Let's not interfere in what's actually going on. Whether she can dance or not is irrelevant to the Brexit she can deliver. Next topic, please, Hugo. Wow. Um, okay. I, I fundamentally agree. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> I don't quite know how to follow that. Um, okay, yeah, I do. The, um, I'm going to play another clip, <clears throat> and this time it's of Vince Cable, leader of the Liberal Democrats. Years of economic pain justified by 
the exotics present of leaving of leaving the EU that was going to say uh, I found a really worse clip let's just uh, let's just hear that one more time this is when YouTube won't work ah my laptop my laptop isn't working okay apologies uh, podcast listeners uh, yeah my laptop's not working uh, but years of economic pain uh, something something the of the erotic spasm of leaving the EU. Uh, Duncan... Well, so yeah, the, the, ma- the man tripped on his words. He, he pronounced it wrong. Also, it's Vince Cable. It's not like anybody was listening to him at the speech of a leader of the Liberal Democrats. But do you know the worst bit about it was that was the bit of the speech who was meant to say erotic spasm. Um, that was a bit of a speech that he leaked to the media. That was the only line he meet to, leaked to the media the day before the speech, and he fluffed up his line. The only bit everyone knew he was going to say, and he couldn't even say it. And, <laughs> and my YouTube's crashed, so I might leave it to the end. But, uh, yeah. How, uh, I mean, yeah. Oh, Vince. Vince Cable. What would we do without him? Well, yeah, our our uh, UK affairs could be in a lot better state if he wasn't of if he wasn't our business secretary for five years. But you know, it's fine. Uh, okay. The Irish abortion referendum. Uh, let's move it across to Ireland. Um. And I'm the island of Ireland. <laughs> Sorry, I love saying that. The island of Ireland, it sounds amazing. I love that sentence. Especially with somebody with an Irish accent says it. It's gorgeous. But yeah, obviously they had a referendum on abortion because Ireland is highly religious. And so abortion is almost a taboo topic. It really is shunned. And they had this very public referendum should we allow it? Should we not allow it? The people said, yes, we will allow abortion, bringing them in line with majority of Western countries. But also, I think one of the big issues that then springboarded on this was the topic of abortion in Northern Ireland, because it's still illegal there. You see a lot of people coming over to England and Wales for abortions yeah. uh, because the, the House of Commons is unwilling to push that law on Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland is not in any rush to do it and they as much said you know the the referendum verdict in the republic of ireland won't influence on the issue yeah and i i mean what i take from the irish abortion referendum apart from it's great for progression and um people women in northern ireland what i take from it is they are far better doing referendums than we are (laughs) oh anyway they won, yes, won by 66.4% of the vote. Pretty, pretty, pretty significant result, as you say, especially with the um, heavy Catholicism that exists in the, in the what? In the what? Ireland. The island of Ireland. There you go. I just wanted you to do it again. I love it. Uh, yeah, so that happened. 
uh, abortion is not illegal anymore in Ireland, or won't be, depending. Well, the Republic of Ireland, just just to be uh, clear. Indeed. Okay. Um. Uh, well, uh, be, before we move on, um, what would your views personally, uh, as, as much as I stand for devolution, I actually think the House of Commons you should turn around to Northern Ireland and say, tough with this law is you now have to follow it on abortion. What would you say to that? Well, a, a blanket United Kingdom's abortion law. Yes. I agree. It's it it's law in the UK, except Northern Ireland. So Nor- Northern Ireland are now the odd one out of this little nation of islands. Obviously, Ireland of Ireland is a separate country, but this nation of you are, no, no, floating no, 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 rock. Sorry. The island of Ireland is not a separate nation. It's a separate country. It's not part of the United Kingdom. No, the island of Ireland is the island on which Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland are. It's an island of two countries. Oh, okay. I mean, Ireland. You, you, you are aware of where Northern Ireland is. Yes. And why it's called Northern Ireland. Okay, it is 21.55 on Boxing Day night. Please give me a break. But, uh, yes, apologies for that, Irish listeners. Any listeners, indeed. Um... Sorry, yeah. Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, uh, has legalised abortion. The United Kingdom, have leg- England, Scotland, Wales, have legalised abortion. Uh, Northern Ireland is now the odd one out, and yes, they should follow suit, and yes, the House of Commons should force them. That all right? Yeah. Cool. Well, the- what, what topic are we going to go next from the hat? Oh... It's getting exciting. Uh, Political people jailed. Uh, This is a story... Sorry? Pardon? Political uh, leaders being jailed. Cut out there. Uh, Political leaders being jailed. Uh, This is a story of very controversial uh, leader and deputy leader of the Britain First uh, political movement... Not, I'm not going to call it political party because it is actually not a political party anymore. Um, they didn't renew their political party status with the Electoral Commission. Uh, so it is a political movement. Britain first, uh, leader and deputy leader Paul Golding and Jada Fanson were earlier this year uh, imprisoned over anti-Muslim hate crimes. And also... Tommy Robinson was imprisoned. He's not part of Britain First, but he is uh, kind of of that ilk. He was imprisoned for for contempt of court, though. Yes, I know, but he's of the same extremist ilk. Yes, 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 yes. But it would be slander to suggest he went to prison for these folk. Just looking out for you, bud. Indeed. You sounded like a robot then. <laughs> your uh, your messenger went. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. Apparently, Paul Golding was allegedly beaten up in prison. Uh, in March. Oh dear, what a shame. Oh dear, my heart goes out to him. I know. 
and his heart will go on apparently hating Muslims um yes uh, Britain first not being a, a political party that isn't on the list but let's talk about it for one minute uh, what do you think of uh, Britain first not or what do you think were the implications of Britain first not uh, renewing their political party status with the Electoral Commission it's a huge step forward for British politics yes but what does that in say the, about what does it say about the the party itself well the now movement itself because it's in disarray because it was it was the issue with the, the, the um, they them and the EDL have a very public image of not an anti-immigration stance but a xenophobic a racist stance and the loss of them is no loss to British politics. It, it is a loss to the justification of voices who want to hate who are, and who want to be racist. And a, a political party like the BNP gave them that reason to be it and that reason to say, oh, I can say it, it, it's a political party, it's a political statement, and it gave them justification. So now they've got good riddance, one less platform for extremist hate speak to be preached on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, about extremist uh, extremisms, um, the new president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, is a far right member of the Social Liberal Party, and he yes, is. I I can't remember the exact <coughs> quote, but I know he's being described as one of the most hate-filled racist the misogynistic leaders of any country any freely elected country um and he's in charge of brazil but the issue is if he, he's elected yes he might stand on a platform of hate we can lobby him for nice equality rights but if he was elected fairly there's bugger all we can do about it well indeed Bit like, bit like going back to Trump, isn't it? Thank you for tuning in to part four of this Sug Sound podcast reflecting on the political year of 2018. There's just one more part to go, which will be up soon, and we'll see you on the other side in the part five that concludes this series. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome back to this, the political highlights of 2018, with me, Hugo Sugg, and Duncan Cushman. We will talk about going on elections really quickly. Um, US midterms. Uh, these, of course, were massively, this, these were one of the biggest political events of the year uh, on either side of the um, ocean, uh, because the US... It's, it, it, it's not an ocean. What what would you call the Atlantic? It's a pond. It's a pond. So okay. It's a pond. A pond. Bit like the Clapton Pond. The same is the either side of the pond. Okay, a bit like Clapton Pond in London, um, which is tiny. Uh, yeah. So these were significant because this was seen, uh, or partly seen, as a referendum on Donald Trump's 
presidency. Of course, these were the first national elections uh, in the US to take place since Donald Trump won the White House in 2016. Uh, Democrats, <coughs> so Hillary Clinton's party, uh, as expected, took the uh, House of Representatives um, f- away from the Republicans. They got 232 seats to Republicans, 198. But, as expected, Republicans, Donald Trump's party, held the Senate and gained two extra seats to take it to 53 against 47. So, Duncan, what are the implications of, really briefly, what are the implications of the Republicans holding the upper house, but for Democrats, sorry, the Democrats, taking the House of Representatives. What are the implications for Donald Trump and also partly for us over here in the UK? Well, we can look at it right now, government shutdown. Congress, among other things, Congress controls the budget. Yes, but the new Senate, the new uh, Congress people have not taken their seats yet. No, no, but what I'm saying, this could be... If this is what we're getting from the current Congress... Imagine what the deadlock with the new one is going to be like. Because the president might have the veto, but the Congress can get past that veto. And whilst, yes, something needs to pass the Congress and the Senate and then be agreed upon by both houses, if nothing's getting through the Senate that Trump wants to do, he's getting no legislation out at it, all. It is important at to know as well, as you, as you just said, really good point. We are in a US government shutdown at the time of this recording. And uh, until January... Both seats are con- sorry. Both houses are controlled by Donald Trump's Republican Party. So yes, you're right. Uh, you know, if this is what you get with two Republicans, sorry, two houses of Republicans, what are you going to get when you have a Democrat and a Republican? Um, the government shutdown at the moment is all about the famous and controversial border wall. <laughs> is it not? It is yes. The one with I'm, metal slats. Well, I don't, I don't see, I don't see why the funding of the wall is an issue. Mexico is going to pay for it, apparently. Well, no, Mexico have refused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mexico Big refused news. not fake long news. after Donald Trump took presidency. Of, of course, it's fake news. Have you seen the design of the wall that Donald Trump wants? But it essentially just looks like tall pencils. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and did you hear the news story uh, either earlier this year or last year about um, Cards Against Humanity, the board game, buying a plot of land along the border wall uh, as a private plot of land to stop Donald Trump building the border wall? Um, yeah, but the, I think they call it eminent domain, that the, the US could just go in and repossess the land, like, you know. So uh, we call it here compulsory purchase, so... Can yeah, they? it's a joke, but if they really want it to happen, they'll just get round it, so. Okay. It is a good political um, standpoint, though. Pardon? It is a good kind of um, political... Uh... Ah, protest. There you go. Yes, oh yes, definitely. Um, but going back to the US midterms, it, uh, it does show that the, the people are unhappy with... Trump and the Republicans. Um, but are they are his... they that unhappy though? Because, uh, sorry, 
to interrupt. Um, but in in uh, Barack Obama's uh, midterms during his presidency, um, Republicans took both uh, both houses, both the Senate and the House of Representatives, um, in a Democratic presidency. So. Uh, the fact that Donald Trump's party has managed to hold one of two houses says that actually the country aren't very disappointed with Republicans as we might have thought they would be in comparison with other presidencies. I will say time, time is, is going to tell in the, how him and the, the House of uh, uh, Representatives, um, the Congress get along but I think it, it is a hard one because as you say he still controls the Senate but you know can, can we put it down to his view on yeah so uh, obviously they, they they helped our NHS out a lot so yeah it's a big big scandal and I hope Sajid Javid gets his uh, hands on it. I mean, he, he comes from a uh, kind of... He's a second immigration, second generation immigration, isn't he? Immigrant. No, first... Is he second? Yeah, his parents were first immigration and he was second because he was born here. Uh, yes. Okay, and... Um, two two more things I've got is uh, bodyguard and also uh, homelessness reduction act. Um, the bodyguard is a political series which came out this year um, about a bodyguard of a home secretary, um, a fake home secretary, Julia Montague. Uh, who is a conservative uh, in this fake uh, fake program um, of the UK? She is Home Secretary, and uh, David Budd, the personal protection officer, basically has an affair with her, but also foils um, a huge set of terror plots. Um, but it was left on a cliffhanger. Interestingly, this is a bit of trivia. Uh, Theresa May had to switch it off after 20 minutes of watching Bodyguard because she found it was too real and quote she wants to watch TV to switch off end quote and Amber Rudd subsequently loved the programme and watched every episode so uh, yeah um, Bodyguard's great it's available on iPlayer and Netflix so go and watch it you are, I, I, I was just thinking there if you had mentioned anything about that cliffhanger it ended on I would have driven down to London and killed you what what cliffhanger I didn't think you watched it exactly so if you just said anything I'd have been quite annoyed uh, what are you actually going to watch it yeah I'm it going is, to yes it is worth it it's on Netflix and BBC iPlayer um, it's really worth it and it's really oh, it's really um I like it. It's just yeah, it's it's really well done, really well done. Um, and last is a bit of a sad topic to end on, um, but as it's Christmas, it's in the national focus. Um, homelessness. 
this year, April the 1st, we had the Homelessness Reduction Act 2018 come into force, which changed, the the biggest change of that was it changed the uh, amount of time a council had to uh, assist you to prevent you from being homeless from 28 days to 56 days. Uh, so now, if you are threatened with homelessness, the council now have a legal duty to uh, try and prevent that within 56 days. And uh, we haven't actually had any kind of proper stats from it um, because it's a new law come into effect. So we haven't really seen the uh, the effects of it properly. Um, but we do know that homelessness is going up. Rough sleeping is going up across the UK. Uh, for numerous um, reasons, recently got like the first like, kind of official report on homeless deaths each year, and that there is on the rise. Yep, that's by uh, my friend Maeve McLennigan, uh, who's running that investigation at the National uh, uh, Bureau, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Oh, it's also important to mention. Uh, I think over £1 billion is going into homelessness um, and prevention of homelessness uh, via the Rust Sleeper strategy this year. It was released in August. So uh, the government are, as much as they're being levelled at not doing enough to tackle homelessness, um, I think it's fair to say they've put in steps which other governments haven't done, successive governments haven't done of all colours, um, I think it's fair to say they are trying to get on top of it, uh, but obviously Brexit consuming all the political oxygen makes it really difficult to do that. Would you agree? Yes. I think they are genuinely trying, though, and I know a lot of stickers oh, yeah, levelled... I, I, I think they are, but it's... I know a lot of stickers levelled at the Conservatives, but I think they are... I think they're maybe trying to do the best. Well, I think I think it's a government issue that unless you put funding in the billions, um, tens of billions into something, it's hard to really get it moving. Because a couple of million here, a couple of million there, just I don't want to say that they spend it frivolously, but when you're talking on a national scale, it does have a minimal effect. And whilst it is good that they are putting money and more services, and more plans, and addressing the problem in place. It's how long until we actually see the a practical and physical effects of the of the of this funding and these new programs, and but I, mean, I think it, 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 it's good that the government is recognising the issue, putting task forces and actual bodies in place uh, to do so. But as as we saw with this report, it's like yes, there are deaths, there are the deaths are on the rise. And I think the the biggest thing that could be done alongside of all this funding is safeguarding adult reviews so we can be finding out why they died, where were the failings, what could have been done to prevent this, and having that review structure along with deaths, and not just deaths but also just any homeless cases, make sure that we're looking at at the causes, because once you know what the causes are, you can address the issue, but unless you know what the causes are, you you're throwing money in a in a black hole essentially hoping for the best indeed and channel four um 
I know this from a journalist contacting me from uh, Channel 4 News. Uh, Channel 4 are hitting on the issue of, and are doing a big piece, I think, or certainly researching a big piece around safeguarding adults' reviews and uh, in, sorry, into deaths of homeless people. So we should get some uh, media movement and hopefully some more political movement on that. But uh, actually, interestingly, you can follow uh, that uh, kind of, you can follow the uh, progression of why safeguarding adults' reviews are really important in homeless deaths on the Hugo's Earthquake website, hugosug.wordpress.com. I'll put that link in the case notes, uh, but the campaign that uh, I work on and also Duncan works on as a completely separate entity to this podcast, um, we're going to be doing a, a page of lobbying about why safeguarding adults' reviews are really important, and also you can read up about our previous work into this area. Just plugging the uh, Hugo's Earthquake homeless campaign there. Um, which I don't do on this podcast on purpose, but I think that was relevant just then. Uh, Duncan, I think it's time to say goodnight. This has been a long night, uh, but thank you so much. It's been great. And any fun... Oh, political predictions before we go. Uh, Duncan, do you think Theresa May is going to stay Prime Minister in 2019? Obviously, she is yes. safe for a year. She cannot be challenged yeah. for a year. But will she step down after her Brexit deal? After we leave the EU on the 29th of March 2019, if that isn't extended? I feel that on the 29th of March and the 30th of March, she will be Prime Minister. Um, I feel the only thing that would get rid of her would be is if a general election were called and... I don't think there would be one called in April or even May. There, because before there is a general election or a leadership contest thing, it, there is going to be a period, like a twilight period or such, bef before we actually see the, the full ramifications of Brexit and this deal and how it's going to affect our nation. And until we see those effects, we'll probably go on as is with the government as is. Um, until there is a reason to oust her or it. So I feel she will remain Prime Minister, will remain Prime Minister for a, a good while until the next general election. Um, to which she has promised to step whether down. Whether we have a general election in 2019 or 2020 is up in the air, and I feel it is literally going to come down to what deal goes through the Commons, if any what the transition period is like and what the Northern Ireland border issue ends up being and it, it, it is just going to come down to only it's going to come down to the wire but hopefully cool heads will prevail the Commons will stop their political bickering and acknowledge that they need to work in the national interest what is best to protect the people of this country and future generations going forward and make the, the right decision for the country, not for their party. Because all I, all I can think is when Winston Churchill formed his government in 1940, 
It was a national government. Members from all parties came together to serve on the war cabinet to get the country through probably the single greatest hardship it has ever seen. Now, I do not wish to compare Brexit to World War II in severity, but what I mean to say is at a time of national need, parties, politicians and people should come together and go forward with what is best for us all in mind, not what is best for a party in mind, because okay. the country must always come first. Okay, so the second uh, political prediction I want you to make is, will we have a national government uh, in 2019 to steer us through Brexit? Uh, no, because if one was not immediately formed after the referendum verdict, I don't feel Theresa May would now go and form one. Okay. Nor do I believe Jeremy Corbyn would allow any Labour member to serve on one. Okay. Uh now you you have a chance to throw two political prediction questions at me since I've just done it to you. Use this power wisely. <laughs> I'm joking. Do you feel Russia is going to calm down in its international flaunting of the rules, especially considering the recent uptick in tensions with Ukraine? No, because the Mueller investigation is going to fire up uh, even more and uh, that's just going to antagonise Russia even more, I think. Um, and no, I think they will be even worse and not calm down. I think they will not just dance on stage, on the world stage, I think they'll probably strip off and perform some sort of show of a sexual nature on the, royal, on the world stage as in shocking and unviewable unless you like Russian and uh, my, my, my second political prediction of such a question for you is uh, how loved do you feel the monarchy will be in 2019 well uh, <laughs> is this in relation to the Facebook post I put on earlier uh, I feel it all depends on uh, the Queen and uh, Prince Charles. I think it all depends on... Actually, do you know what? The love of the monarchy, I think, will heavily depend on when the uh, Queen dies and if Prince Charles will abdicate her his uh, role, his monarchy, um, to... Prince William. I think that would determine whether the royal family are loved or hated in 2019. Though, so I, 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 not to add another debate topic, but I just thought, though, with post-Brexit, the monarchy is a key to almost uh, another future trading alliance. Imagine a free trading Commonwealth area. Now that is something we should all aspire to. That is if the Commonwealth doesn't break down after the Queen dies. I, I don't... Well, they recently had a, a meeting this year. There was the heads of the Commonwealth came over to discuss the future of the Commonwealth, the future of the head of the Commonwealth, because it would not necessarily directly form to child, Charles. Well, no because, child. no, because head of Commonwealth isn't her, a hereditary title. Um, but... No. 
the point no the, but the point i i make is <clears throat> um there's some reports out um into commonwealths might just after a death of a long reigning head of state commonwealths might just go right okay that was a nice period let's go republic so we could see a rise of republicanism uh, amongst the commonwealth possibly that's what some reports are saying but who knows and i think that rounds up our political roundup of 2018 Yes, and 2019, I'm sure, will bring us much more joy, much more podcasts, and much more fervent debate. It will. And podcast listeners, suck sound. I'm so sorry for not releasing another uh, podcast within a month. Uh, it's been hectic, and I'll explain more in January. And Duncan, uh, thank you very much, and have a good new year. Well, I, I, ju- I just remembered one one topic, um, if I may quickly, I'd like to say something, on. You have like two uh, minutes. 2018, 2018, we saw the centenary of the end of World War One, The war to end all wars. Sadly, it wasn't. And we had other wars. But this year, uh, a film was released called They Shall Not Grow Old, as done by Peter Jackson. And I think if you were to watch any film in the in the last week of this year, seek out that film and watch it because not only is it a masterpiece of cinema, it brings the realities of what World War One was. It is one of the most gut wrenching and heart grabbing films of the year, and I feel everybody needs to watch it. Uh, to go on that note, a hundred years ago uh, this year since the um, women got the vote. Um, we didn't talk about that in the podcast, I do apologise. Um, and the first statue of a woman in Parliament Square, Millicent Fawcett. Um, but yes, 2018 brings two centenaries, uh, one of World War One, as Duncan just explained, and another of women getting the votes. So... I think it's important to round off a podcast with that and say thank you to all of those who fought for our peace, love, security and also the right to vote for women. Yes. And we'll see you all in 2019. Enjoy. Enjoy. Take care and thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and rate us. Bye, Duncan. Happy New Year. Bye, Hugo. Have a decent new year. And have a decent new year to you, subscribers and listeners. And uh, let's have a joint bye, Duncan. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. Please do join in the conversation on social media. Our hashtag is SugSound. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter at HugoSug. And be sure to rate and subscribe so other people can find this podcast.